Hey there, it's Vashti Sarah. Welcome back to Post Blog. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, like button, follow button, share button, all the buttons to stay connected with the Post Blog podcast. And for those of you who this is not your first time, welcome back. Happy Wednesday. I hope you guys are finishing the month of March really, really strong and that you're accomplishing your goals, whether it be one thing on your checklist that you got done, celebrate that and just know that, you know, life can be crazy, but that to-do list will always be there. Enjoy family, enjoy life, enjoy the people around you, but also use your time wisely and make sure you get stuff done. That's the type in me that says she wants to, you know, prior to prioritize people, but at the same time has a hard time doing so because her checklist always gets in the way. But I'm growing, I'm learning, and hopefully that encourages someone who may be a little bit like me and say, hey, Vashti, I can completely relate. Um, Anyway, so today's topic, it's not necessarily a fun one. If I'm being completely transparent with you guys, it's one that I've dreaded to talk about. And it's because writing is a lot easier for me than speaking. Um, A lot of times when you say it out loud, it becomes a lot more real. And this topic in particular, I decided to expose, I, I decided to just let it out there and let it do what it needs to do. And hopefully brings hope to someone, which it did. I had a ton of messages after I released this blog and um, you know, just really encouraging to see that the Lord is working in people's lives and is healing through the process. But anyway, so for those of you who do do not know what I'm talking about, it's the blog called I'm Sorry the Church Hurt You. And I'm actually going to join or compile three blogs into one episode. Honestly, selfishly, it's because I don't want to drag this topic on for three weeks. I just want to get it out there. Um, and just be done. It's a very hard topic to talk about. And it's, it's not fun, personally, especially because it affected me. It's not necessarily one that I'd like to carry on for weeks on end. And I guess that's part of the healing process. And the I don't want to say maturity process, but the healing process. And, you know, I'm still healing, I'm still going through that growth period. And I think I'll be healing for years on end because it's not easy to talk about. And I don't think it will ever be easy. Um, It'll be easier in the sense of I probably won't cry all the time anymore, but um, the wound will always hurt because that's what wounds do. They might not hurt as badly as it did at initial contact, but whenever you have a wound and you see that scar, you touch the scar, sometimes that scar tissue is a little bit sensitive, even though it has gone through the healing process. But all that to say, let's jump into this week's episode. So like I said, we're going to talk about I'm Sorry the Church Hurt You, The Darkest Valley Part 1 and The Darkest Valley Part 2. And if you haven't read those blogs, those are located on VashiSarah.com. If you want to read more, I honestly, I'm just going to generalize and I mean, I'm going to go in debt with it. But at the same time, if you want a little bit more information on this specific topic, go to VashiSarah.com and you'll see those blogs. But I'll first start off with some statistics. One in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of sexual child sexual abuse. A quarter of male victims of sexual assault were under 10 years of age. Rape statistics show that less than 20% of rapes are reported. 
women and men with disabilities face twice the risk of sexual assault than able-bodied individuals. Approximately 70 women commit suicide every day in the U.S. following an act of sexual violence. Over 25% of male sexual assault victims will experience their first assault before 10 years of age. Over 80% of sexual assaults are committed by an acquaintance. Almost 95% of child victims knew their sexual attacker. The majority, 90% of rape victims, are female. Girls and women between the ages of 16 and 19 are four times more likely than girls and women in other age groups to be assaulted or raped. So it doesn't really take rocket science to figure out what we're talking about today. And it's about being raped, molested, or anything in that area and what that process looks like, what that healing process looks like, what that recovery process looks like. And it's not a one size fit all kind of thing. I'm just honestly sharing my journey, how I've walked through it and how I keep walking through it. So backstory, I grew up in Belize. I grew up in Belize City, you'd probably say. And for the majority of my life, so from ages from birth through, I believe I was 17 when I moved. Yes, I believe. Yes, I was 17 when my family moved and my dad started his business in the U.S. So during my childhood years, um, I had pretty much a great childhood. Honestly, can't complain. You know, we have your ups and downs. No family's perfect. There are little holes within every family because we are imperfect people. But growing up, I grew up in the church. My parents always had us involved, always had us like completely immersed in ministry. And unfortunately, in church is where I was assaulted. And that was what scarred me and changed my view of what church is. And it changed it for a long period of time until I went through healing and counseling and that recovery process. But there's actually some well-known statistics, especially in the Catholic community, that in 2019, over uh, 1,700 priests and clergy were accused of sexual abuse. Before 2018, over 1,000 children in Pennsylvania alone were found to be victims of sexual abuse under the Roman Catholic fate. In 2019, 380 Southern Baptist leaders and volunteers faced allegations of sexual misconduct. Influential leaders like Brian Houston are found concealing child sexual abuse by his father. There's Ravi Zachariah, who has been accused of rape and sexual misconduct. And in 2021, Micah Carter resigned after rape allegations. So rape and assault is not unknown within the clergy setting, within the church setting. And it's unfortunate because you'd expect a faith system, a belief system that preaches love, that preaches purity, that preaches all these character traits that reflect who Jesus is, that they would continue walking in that. But in my whole recovery, in my whole healing process, I had to grow from my understanding of what the church really is. And you know, the church is made up of a body of people. The church is made up of individuals who strive to be more like Jesus, but they are not perfect. And I think that's why I was hurt so badly is because I expected, I had expectations on these individuals that 
they will carry out the gospel message in a certain way. They will carry out love in a certain way. They will carry out respect in a certain way. And when that was crossed, when that was broken, my understanding of what Christianity is, my understanding of what the church is completely shattered. So for me, sexual abuse occurred back home, like I said, in Belize. And I was midway through my teenage years and it was an individual my parents trusted wholeheartedly trusted. Um, He was around my siblings. He was around family all the time. And, you know, I trusted this individual and he always referred to me as his little sister. So there was that connection there, that bond there, that friendship there. Oh, his little sister. And no one took it as anything weird or odd. And I never did take it as anything to question or have some type of quandary about. But, you know, that's what predators do. There's that grooming process, that process where they get connected and they build that trust with the parents. They build that trust with the with the child. And I will never blame my parents. And I had to understand that I should never blame myself for being so stupid or so naive or so juvenile to think that I could trust someone because I was still a child. I was a, I was way more a child then than I am now. Like I said, I grew up in the church setting um, and it happened within the church in the sense that it was a pastor that did it. So right after worship practice one night, my parents asked or my mom asked the worship pastor to take me home. And, um, you know, and that wasn't uncommon. Like typically if my parents were really busy with their business and he's already taking the other singers home or the other worship individuals home, you know, it's just routine. Yeah, sure. He'll take everybody home. So that specific night, that fall night, I think my world completely turned upside down because I never expected this to happen. I never foreseen that this would happen. And, you know, just that whole idea of trust was completely broken. So there were three of us who were going to be taken home that night. And he dropped off the first girl, dropped off the second girl. I told them bye, good night just my normal thing. And then he was going to take me home last. But instead of going into the direction where I know is home, he went the opposite direction. And I sat in the back seat for a second trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? He didn't say anything. And, you know, not that I didn't trust him in that moment, but I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess he needs to make another stop somewhere. I didn't question. I didn't ask anything. And for a long time, I asked myself, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you question? But again, it's that whole idea of trust. That trust was built. That grooming process was already implemented. So why would I question? Why would I think differently that this person cannot be trusted? So I didn't question. And he ended up parking in a very secluded, dark part of the road. I really can't remember where and I think I blocked out that memory completely I because it was so horrific, the whole thing that happened. He jumped in the back seat and then he started his process and he let me know all these things. Um, you're everything I ever wanted and don't be scared and trying to calm me down because in the moment, I guess he could tell that, hey, what? You know, like <laughs> completely fearful, completely in shock and just that whole trust remove out the door. And then he did a couple of things and I don't want to get too much in detail because I don't want this to be a trigger for anyone, especially for my parents who are listening. I, I understand that that could be really hard for them to hear 
me talk about this, but um, he did a couple of things. And then the door of his vehicle opened and a man dressed in complete black with a gun pointed right at him. You know, he opened the door and I, again, I was in shock. I didn't know what was going on. I think, you know, just the whole ordeal and the rush of that night just confused me completely. I remember the worship leader jumped back into the front seat and sped off. And I, you know, try to fix my clothes because my pants was unbuttoned, my shirt was disheveled. And I sat back down shaking, crying, just trying to figure out what is going on. Is this a dream? Is this reality? How did I miss this? Why is he doing this? Is this the person that I know? Is this actually happening? Is this my life? So all these different question, questions going through my head. And then he parked again. And I know exactly where he parked the second time. I think I could pretty much, if I go back home, I pretty much could find where it was. Anyways, he jumped back in the back seat and then he started telling me things again. And this time it was, you wanted this. You asked for this. And, you know, just speaking to me and telling me that I'm to blame for what's happening in the moment. And again, I'm completely confused, completely shocked, not sure what's happening. Again, started unbuttoning, going a little bit further. And then the man once more appeared, pointed the gun one last time. This time it was light outside in the sense of there were lampposts outside. So you can pretty much see someone if the door was opened. But I cannot tell you who the man is that was holding the gun. All I can say is he was completely covered. I just can't put a face to the man. Long story short, he jumped back in the front seat, drove me home, and I laid there. At this point, I was laying across the car, across the vehicle, and I laid there shaking. I buttoned back my pants and I was trying to figure out what, why me? And I remember just sobbing and just, I got angry. I got angry at God. I got angry at man. I got angry at the entire world and just try to figure out, okay, this is my reality from now on. He didn't say a word all the way home. It felt like a five-hour drive, to be honest. Before I jumped out the car, he said, do not say a word to anyone because they will not believe you. Never say a word. I remember jumping out angry. I went to my room, ripped my clothes off, and went to bed. And I cried and I cried and I cried. Conveniently, that whole night, I was able to just be alone because I don't know what I would have done if I had seen my parents. Um, I probably would have had to lie to them because I was told no one would believe me and I better not say anything. Honestly, it's hard because I'm trying to like jumble my thoughts together. I don't remember exactly what happened the rest of that week other than receiving emails and text messages from said individual explaining how sorry he was for violating me. And I needed to forgive him. Please forgive him. Please don't tell anyone. Otherwise, I'm going to break up his family and, you know, break up the church and all these different things. And so it was, hey, forgive me. But at the same time, don't say anything because this is what's going to happen. Fast forward to, I think it was immediately that Sunday, I went to the lead pastor and I wanted to tell him what happened because I was like, hey, I am hurt. Someone hurt me. Someone violated me. Please do something. And the funny part is in that conversation, 
The one line I remember is, you need to take a cold shower. And I remember him saying that and just thoroughly confused because of anything you could say in a conversation where someone is confiding in you about being violated, that's what you're going to say. You need to take a cold shower. And then he went on to explain how this individual struggles with um, sexual sins and have been caught before in the act and, you know, all the different things. And uh, the lead pastor advised me never to say a word. Don't tell my parents. Otherwise, they'll end up in a divorce. You're going to be the reason the church breaks up. No one's going to believe you. And the list goes on. And I remember just sitting there and I felt like my body just was not in that room. My body was in a different space because I could vaguely hear him in the background, but I was just in a different realm, confused, trying to figure out what is going on. The whole idea of Christianity and church shattered right there and then. Like if it didn't the night of when I got violated, it did when I approached the lead pastor and that's how it was dealt. After that, I told myself, you know what? I've lost all respect for men, lost all respect for the church and can't do it anymore. And, you know, I could not not go to church because my parents would all, would question and I didn't want to talk about it. I felt dirty. I felt sick to my stomach. I felt like I was worthless. All the things you can possibly think of in terms of your identity was turned upside down. I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know what my calling was. I didn't know anything about who God said I was. I didn't respect God anymore because a good God should never allow this to happen. I didn't respect men anymore. And I thought all men were like this scumbags, scum of the earth, takes advantage of girls and little boys and women and whoever. And just men are disgusting, worth nothing. And, you know, they they shouldn't even be on this earth. So my skew and understanding of men, the church completely shattered, changed. I just thought I'd live in this sulky life and attitude for the rest of my life because I just didn't think, you know, why me? Why me? And I think every victim probably have said that for themselves. Why me? I didn't deserve this. I didn't ask for it. Why me? How could I be so stupid to trust someone? How could I be so naive to trust someone? How could I? And all the what ifs, all the questions came over the years following until my sophomore, junior year in college where I found healing. So there was this woman in our chapel service at Southwestern Assemblies of God University that talked about how she was raped and violated and she shared her healing process and what all that entailed. Even though she didn't specifically talk about being violated by a Christian, she spoke to my core. She spoke exactly what I needed. She touched exactly my heart and explained exactly how I was feeling. And she had an altar call and said, you know, come on up if you need healing, come on up if you need restoration in your life. And, you know, you need to go to counseling. I take a brave step because you walking up to the altar basically tells everyone in chapel, yeah, someone raped me. Yeah, someone molested me. Yeah, I'm a victim. And that in itself was my first bold move because 
I went up to the altar. And then shortly after that, I signed up for counseling. In my blog, you'll know that I never went to counseling after I signed up. And it took a couple months after for me to just finally take the plunge and go for it. So in counseling is where I received the first step towards healing and the challenge. My first challenge was admitting to myself that it's not my fault and forgiving myself for even thinking that it was my fault in the first place. And then the second step towards healing, it was understanding what God says and who he says I am. And then the third step towards healing was telling my parents, telling my family what happened and helping them to understand why I've been the way I've been and to join them with me in this healing process. And then the next step after that was that healing towards men. And then the next step after that was the healing towards church. And I, I I don't say that 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 was the order for every that is the order for everyone. That was a specific order for me in gaining healing. Like I said, in counseling experience, one of the most beautiful aspects of what true healing should look like. Before that, I always thought counseling was stupid. It was for people who were like severely depressed and, you know, borderline suicidal. Boy, was I wrong because everyone needs counseling. We need someone to talk to. Clinical counseling helps with extreme trauma. It helps with also just day-to-day life. It helps with anything. So pause right there. If you need counseling and you're afraid to go to counseling, I beg you, do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Don't worry about what people are going to say. Shut out the noise. Block out the noise. Do it for your mental health and sanity and your spiritual growth. Seek spiritual counseling. It's worth it. Now back to my story. I started counseling, ended up healing from that, telling my parents, you know, what went on. It was a very intimate process telling them because I've never seen my dad so vulnerable. I've never seen my mom broke down like that. And I could see, you know, there's that confusion in their face, that feeling that they failed me, they failed the family. And I had to reassure them, you know, you never failed me. No one failed except for that man who said he was a believer and a Christian. No one failed, but those two individuals, the two pastors that one, that violated, and two, concealed that information and handle it the way he did. Talked to my parents. I told my brothers. Very healing process. Not going to go too much in debt with that. And then uh, a couple years later, I started dating Jared, my now husband. And whenever I started dating Jared, all the emotions came back up. It was like a, a can of worms just pouring out. I had to go back to counseling because I needed to just talk through my fears of what dating is. I didn't want Jared to hold my hand. I didn't want him to touch me. I didn't want him to kiss me. And I told him flat out off the bat, these are no's. I mean, sex was understood because him and I both Christian, grew up in the Christian faith and kept herself pure in the sense of not having sexual intercourse with anyone. So that was off the bat, but I told him no kissing, no hand holding, don't touch me. And he never pried. He never questioned. He just respected. And he, from his point of view, he shared that, you know, he knew I was going through something, but he knew that in time, um, I would find healing on his end. He just needed to pray for me and he needed to respect me. And that was one of the greatest things that he could have done. He had he shoved himself or pushed himself on me, we wouldn't be married today, probably. So 
went back to counseling, went through that process, talked it through and shared my fears of being in a relationship, my fears of men, you know, that all resurfaced. And that didn't mean that I didn't heal years prior. It just meant that I was in a different season, a different season of maturity. And I was actually walking through what it is to trust a man in an intimate level. And, you know, it's just very new for me. So again, went through counseling and then stopped counseling, healed um, as much as I could for that season. Then came the time for marriage. Marriage brought up a whole new ballgame for us because uh, the topic of sex came up and I was extremely scared. I was scared because I just was fearful that Jared would despise me or did not want to be intimate with me um, because I was already used. And yes, I didn't lose my virginity, but there were many things that were done the night I got violated that made me feel disgusting and worthless. And it felt like my purity, a part of my purity was robbed. So I felt like whenever I presented myself to my husband on the night we got married, I would be used and I would not used by Jared, but I would be used goods and that I wouldn't be 100% pure for him. He's coming to me 100% pure. I wanted to be 100% pure for him. And I felt like I wasn't able to do that. And there was all these fears that came up. So went back to counseling and talked that through. And was our wedding night phenomenal? Um, It was in the sense that it built a whole new level of trust. But I mean, if I'm being completely transparent with y'all and Jared and I are going to talk about this on our one year review, but on our wedding night, we couldn't have sex. And that's just like flat out honesty there. (laughs) And we didn't for a couple months, actually, we actually couldn't, we weren't able to because um, I was just so fearful. I was scared because that was the one thing I was holding on to. And I don't mean to tear up now, but um, that was the one thing that I held on to greatly because other things were robbed that I told myself, this is the one thing that defines your purity. And the moment you give it away, it's no longer going to be yours. So um, it took me a while. And it's not that I didn't trust Jared. I trust him fully with my entire heart. But there was still that part of me that did not heal and did not understand purity, that it was more than just physical. My heart was pure. My mind was pure. But I was so focused on that physical aspect, which that physical aspect is important, that I hindered and I struggled to become intimate with my husband. But long story short, you know, we prayed about it. We prayed the night of before we engaged in anything. And, you know, I had to be honest with him. I cried and I was like, look, I can't do it. I'm not ready yet. And I'm sorry. And, you know, he affirmed to me, I didn't marry you for sex. I married you because I love you. And sex is a bonus, but I married you for beyond that. So just seeing Jared, my husband is just one of the greatest persons on this planet. And I'll say time and time again, he's a physical representation of the father's love for me because he was so patient and so kind, prayed with me and helped me through the process. Never pushed me, never rushed me. Whenever I was ready, we'd go for it. But so that's besides the point. The whole idea of being 
assaulted by the church is very hard and it's not easy and it's a different road and a path for every individual who has been raped, molested or assaulted in any shape or form or manner. It is very, very difficult. But here's the thing, whether you have been molested or assaulted in the church or outside the church, it doesn't remove the fact that you need to seek healing. For those of you who were assaulted within a church, I want to remind you that the church is a compilation or compilation of unique entities. These individuals who want to be more like Christ are bound to fail. And that doesn't make it justifiable. It just explains it because we have that sin nature, because we have that freedom in Christ to do as we will to whether we become more like him or just pretend like we're becoming more like him because we have that freedom. There is often a misrepresentation of Christianity because too often we want to gratify our desires. And that's what a lot of people do. And I still haven't like figured out what the right way is to approach this specific topic, especially within the church, because the church setting, you don't want to, you don't want to push people away from church, but at the same time, you, you don't want to conceal sin. I still haven't figured that part out. I don't know if it should be dealt with differently than you would deal with it in the outside world, in the corporate world. But I do know that healing is important. After blaming the church and blaming men for years, I've realized that you know what? The church didn't fail me. The church building didn't fail me. The church in the organization didn't fail me. Man did. Whether you got assaulted within a church or outside the church, man failed me. Man failed you. If it's a female, a woman failed you. And it's no easy road towards healing, but healing is something you and I should strive for. We shouldn't cast blame on a God that gave us freedom. Otherwise, then we'd be robots walking around. I mean, I'm sure some people would prefer that, but freedom is great. And in freedom, there comes a lot of hurt. It becomes messy. It becomes dirty. It becomes very, very wrong sometimes because people don't really know what to do about freedom or with freedom. But I want to encourage you, if you are a victim of sexual assault, rape, or abuse, expose the truth. And I guess this is my way of exposing the truth. You know, I have had legal advice. I have lawyers on my side. I have all the evidence in the world. And, you know, it was, it's been hard ever since opening up about it because I've had people that, you know, criticize and said it's not true. I've had very negative words casted on me, but I've also had a body of believers who are with me and standing with me. I have legal authorities standing with me and are on my side. But most importantly, I have the King of Kings who knows the truth and will eventually expose and bring light to this darkness, which I think this is the beginning process of it. But if you're a victim, expose the truth. You are never to blame and you will never be the reason for destruction. Don't be afraid to speak out. And I want to encourage parents, be involved in your children's lives. Ask them the questions. Ask them the tough questions. Listen and watch for signs. Don't, don't let people get too friendly with your kids because that's where grooming starts. 
the church should be a place where we should trust. The church should be a place where we should have that freedom to trust. But we have to remember that in the church, there are broken people. There are people that will fail. But pray. Cover your children in prayer. Cover your children in the blood of the Lamb. And if things do happen, if if they do get hurt, I beg you to not blame God. We've been given free will and free choice. And with that, it becomes messy. Failure is never and will never be a reflection of who God is. Because in our suffering, God grieves with us. And we know that we see that. When Jesus came on this earth, he grieved with those who hurt. And we know there will be times of trials. We know there will be times that, you know, where sin just occurs right and left. But Jesus heals. Jesus restores. He has done it for me. And my friend, he can do it for you. He can do it for your brother. He can do it for your sister. He can do it for your mom. He can do it for your dad. He can do it for your grandma. He can do it for your grandpa. Because some of you who are listening have been raped or assault victims and you've been living with this guilt and shame for years. You've been living with that weight for years on end and just carrying that shame. One of my favorite Bible passages is the 23rd Psalm. And actually, my grandma made me memorize this when I was a kid. And honestly, it has helped in many times, but more so during that healing process. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He make it me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That psalm is unique in more ways than one. Because it's talking about the Father's love for his sheep. It's talking about God's love for his people. And it's reminding you that, hey, you're going to walk through some dark times. You're going to go through some dark, dark things. Your soul might be restless. But if you follow me, if you follow your shepherd, if you follow your God, the ultimate God, the King of Kings, he will heal and he will comfort. He will bring peace. He will bring green pastures and still waters where the noise is all around. He will bring that stillness. But he will also prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He will provide even in the midst of you going through your trials, even in the midst of your own enemies, your violator, your predator, scarring you and wounding you. And God will anoint you and heal you that despite you've gone through trying times, you will overflow with joy. You will overflow with hope. You will overflow with love and forgiveness. But the only way that can happen And I think you and I both know this. The only way that can happen is if you surrender your pain. If you surrender your hurt. And that's not easy. Because surrendering your pain and surrendering your hurt requires a lot of vulnerability. 
It requires ugly crying. It requires pain. It requires reliving all the things. And I've had to relive it so many times as I walk through many different seasons of life. As much as I've healed and as much as I've gained confidence, I'll admit I have nightmares. I'll admit I have troubling dreams. I'll admit fear comes up. I'll admit that certain smells can't do it because it reminds me of that night. There are certain individuals that immediately I'm on guard. But I have to remind myself that God is my protector. God is my healer. I've been healed and I continue to heal. So I want to encourage you guys, whoever is listening, if you know someone or you are that someone, there is healing and there is hope. You're not supposed to live in this rut for the rest of your life. Yes, it hurts. Yes, the memory will probably always be there. But you walking in true freedom, no guilt, no shame, that's available to you. And the only person who can give that to you is Jesus. I challenge you to memorize Psalm 23. But more so, I challenge you to submit your hurt and pain to Jesus. That first. And then seek counseling. There's healing. I won't quite say I'm sorry the church hurt you. Because the church in some point is bound to fail because we have poor representation in the church. And that's not to say that I don't go to church. I do go to church. I'm active in church. But I'm sorry that man failed you. And that's incorporating men and women. I'm sorry they failed. But I promise you that in failure, Christ can turn it all around. You're not alone. You're definitely not alone. So to close this out, I'm just going to say a prayer. And if you want to send me a message and just ask for some tips or some prayers, personal prayer points, honestly, just reach out. I do not mind. You're not alone. Lord God, I just pray for whoever is listening who has been a victim, who knows someone who's a victim. God, I just pray that your healing power will just overwhelm those individuals that if they have lost all respect for the church, respect for men, respect for women, whatever it may be, whatever that context is, God, I pray for complete healing. That that understanding that the church never failed them, but man did, that separation that men are bound to fail, it's not justifiable, but it does explain because we have that sin nature. I pray against depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety and fear, insecurities, And God, I just believe that you are going to heal, even if it's one person. God, I thank you for that restoration and that healing in hearts and minds. That that understanding that the church is and should be a safe place. There are men and women out there who do care and who do respect. But God, I pray that they will strive to be a better version of themselves. They will strive to become more like you, to love until it hurts, to give until it hurts. God, I thank you for that understanding of purity that that will shift, that it's more than just physical. As much as physical is important, you are able to restore that purity of heart, purity of mind, spiritual purity is what we should be striving towards. And just as you have healed me time and time again, God, I pray for healing for those who are hurting, who are grieving, and who have been stuck in that rut. Whether it be a 15-year-old, 
a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, or a 60-year-old who is still wounded, God, I declare healing over their lives. And I thank you, Jesus, that you can do that and you will do that. God, I praise you and I thank you. We love you, Lord. Do what only you can do in those lives that are hurting. And I ask that you continue to heal me. In your name I pray. Amen. That's it for today, guys. Thank you for joining me on Post Blog. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, like button, follow button, share button. All the buttons to stay connected with the Post Blog podcast. Same time, same place next week. I love y'all. But remember, God loves you most.